Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's uh, kind of to dovetail on what you just said, right? Um, if you're secure enough in your path and your identity, it's okay for others to disagree with you, right? Mom and dad don't have to agree with what you're doing, but as long as you're paying your bills, right? Why should they worry about that? You know, what will that, what would all that worrying accomplish anyway? Um, and so, yeah, to, for people to say, you know, I'm, maybe there's a better way than what I was taught. Um, you know, there are some things to celebrate. I think every culture has their, has their pluses and minuses, but to really celebrate the pluses and then build on, you know, build away from, you know, the things that might be holding you back, like fixed mindset or, you know, limiting beliefs, even within your culture. Um, you know, that's, I think that's healthy for everybody. I'm Jamie Mo Crazy, and you're listening to Life Gets Mo Crazy, where we'll hear from people who either been through a trauma or helped someone else through it. Listen and learn strategies you can implement in your life so when a metaphorical avalanche slides you down the mountain of life, you can climb an alternative peak with the best view. I am here today with Jerry Fu, who is a conflict resolution coach who helps Asian American leaders advance their career and life journeys. Having taken on several pharmacy leadership roles, Jerry started coaching in 2017 to help other Asian American professionals deal with the conflict they encounter at work. Because there are all different forms of unexpected traumas, some large, some small, from the outside viewpoint, but even the smallest one can change your life and affect you tremendously. So that is what he works with as a conflict resolution expert. And Jerry is with us today. So that's what we can talk about is some of the conflicts that the Asian Americans are encountering, their unexpected traumas they experience and how they overcome them and climb an alternative peak. So Jerry, thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. I'm excited to hear about some of the conflicts that you've helped resolve through. So to begin with, when you got into co- coaching, what brought you to coaching? Yeah, great question. Um, so initially, when I was going through my undergrad, I thought I, a career in healthcare would be, you know, standard and successful. And so the problem with being pre-med is that if you don't have a clear why you want to be a doctor, you're probably not going to jump through all the hoops of being a doctor. And so that's kind of what happened to me talking about first trauma, right? You're just sitting there thinking, you know, I'm graduated top of my high school class, not in valedictorian, but, you know, top 10. And, you know, all these expectations are on you to just kind of knock it out in one shot, right? And so uh, when I got to see in organic chemistry, it was just kind of like death to me, right? I just didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and so... I pivoted quickly to pharmacy and said, hey, I still want to do something healthcare. I still think that's meaningful. Uh, so let me see if pharmacy would work out. And so um, initially for the first five years of pharmacy, life was pretty hunky-dory. I took my mom's advice for better or worse to just work for a chain pharmacy and avoid trauma and you know, just to say, hey, this is the stability that uh, I, I don't want you to deal with the same way your dad had to deal with when he was dealing with employment issues. So just work for this company, enjoy their benefits, no matter how unhappy you get, just work for this company. And after five years, I said, no, I, I can't do this anymore. Like it's just not worth it. And so 
that was where the journey started to get interesting in that uh, I wanted to teach students, but I didn't have a residency or any kind of, you know, postdoc training. Uh, but a friend who worked for a pharmacy consulting company in Houston, I was living in Tennessee at the time, said, hey, I know you're looking to teach. Um, and uh, my old position is available since I got promoted. Are you interested in uh, applying for my old position? And I said, absolutely. So uh, I managed to convince them to give me a chance. And next thing I know, I'm moving from Tennessee to Houston. And I thought, man, this is going to be awesome. And 11 months later, I get fired. And it's just, you know, this very sobering moment. No, it's my fault. <laughs> you know, um, 11 months in hindsight is very generous for not meeting expectations, right? Um, you learn quickly that uh, an, an employer is paying you to get work done, not give them stories and excuses why you weren't doing the job, right? Uh, but I, it was a lesson that was tough, but I just needed time to appreciate because it really was the wake-up call I needed to recognize, hey, my, quote, successful victimhood uh, was no longer going to work for companies that are, you know, that I would be excited to work for. Uh, and so that was where the roller coaster started to take a fun turn. I ended up at an independent pharmacy job, uh, House of Cards, where I was um, filling for crooked doctors while four of my paychecks bounced. And so that was a tough situation because it's like the guy would tell me, well, I can't pay you unless you move more scripts. And I'm sitting there thinking, how much more work do I need to do for this guy before I get in trouble? Um, so for nine months, uh, thankfully my friends got me out of that job and then, uh, I ended up with another company my friends helped me get on with. And, uh, they said, well, we like you, but we can't pay you more than eight hours a week. And I said, uh, oh, so, uh, they said, well, you can get more hours if you work out in Austin at our Austin location, which is about two and a half hours from Houston. Um, and not the worst place to end up, but it just wasn't home at this point. And so that summer, uh, an interesting opportunity came up where I had the chance to, teach leadership workshops through a pharmacy nonprofit some of my friends run. And they said, hey, you know, we know you've been facilitating, uh, but how about you do try it on the leadership side? And I said, absolutely. And so teaching leadership uh, kind of unlocked some possibilities in my mind because for the longest time, um, you know, failure in a way was a trauma, right? Because it was just like, oh, I'm bad at this. I could never be good at this. I'll never be good at this. And so you know, I put my own lid on my own leadership abilities and I'm never going to get good at this. And, you know, who's to disagree with me? Because if they, even if they believe I could be good, as long as I don't believe I could be good at it, it wouldn't change anything. Yeah. And that's a huge thing about when for recovery from trauma, you can mm -hmm. look at the situation with a fixed mindset or a growth mm -hmm. mindset. Exactly. And with a fixed mindset, you think it's permanently the way it's going to be. And with a growth mindset, you know you can grow and develop, which is why in my story, there was a period of time when I couldn't walk up the stairs. And there was another period of time when I couldn't do this or I couldn't do that. And so it, a, a lot of people look at those situations as fixed, permanent, and they don't understand that it's not. And so having a growth mindset makes it not as well as in relation to a TBI um, with an understanding of neuroplasticity, people know we can create new synaptic connections in our brain. We can do it. Anyone can, whether you've had an injury or not, but after an injury, you can recreate your synaptic connections. And so you can overcome a lot of these struggles. However, if you think they're permanent, they're going to become permanent, which is exactly what you were saying. Yeah, it's a shame that's that the one time we want self-fulfilling prophecy is only happens with like bad situations and not good ones, right? But you have to allow for the good possibilities to in order to fulfill them. So yeah, this is one of those moments where I said, well, you know, what, what would 
involve me being a good leader? How could that become a real possibility? Or how could that become a reality? What would that look like? How would I carry myself, right? And it was more a try, struggle, fail. I actually ended up getting written up because I was not, um, I was not uh, keeping my technicians in line, you know, when I did take a manager position in Houston. I had the chance to move back to Houston uh, for a manager position or stay part-time in Austin. I said, you know, no, I, I need to, I need to grow. I need to take on this challenge. And so, yeah, unfortunately it was just more, more challenges that I was not ready for, but I know I needed to go through. And so um, the funny thing is, is that I was, while I was in the doghouse um, for that employer, um, the owners decided to pull funding from the company. And so we were just kind of left, you know, kind of in limbo wondering, well, you know, do I lose my job now or later? Um, and so I was already looking. And so this just kind of turned up the urgency, but it didn't change the fact that I was still looking. Um, and thankfully, the only reason I even got another interview opportunity was that now I had uh, leadership experience on my resume. And so I said, wow, that was a really good decision. So what I tell people is that leadership saved my career uh, because it gave me options I wouldn't have had otherwise. Uh, that said, though, all these options were like icebergs and that they kept melting after like one or two years because their business models were not sustainable. And so when my previous employer went under four years ago due to insurance problems and things like that, that's when I started to ask myself, well, you know, I'm tired of chasing scripts. I'm tired of fighting insurance companies over contracts and reimbursement. Uh, but I love teaching these leadership workshops, right? What would it take for me to have a career as a leadership coach or, you know, facilitator? And so I started to learn about the business and, you know, I was still scared, right? Um, still scared of failure, still scared of, of rejection and, you know, um, after COVID hit, I said, okay, I can't afford to wait any longer. I have to start this business. So let me learn how to open a business, run a business, build a business. And I'm in the middle of that right now. Uh, I still have my day job as a pharmacist, and that's been a great opportunity for me to continue to test my leadership style and refine it. Uh, but I know that ultimately this is the trajectory that I need to make uh, happen on a long-term uh, satisfactory basis. So what kinds of conflict resolutions do you work with right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, so some of the stories I could tell you, <laughs> so many. Uh, from a personal standpoint, uh, one of the crazier moments I had to deal with was um, when I was uh, director of a church class, I found on my second day officially uh, starting my term as a director, I found out that one of the newer guys in the class was sexually harassing the woman in the class. And, you know, they said, Jerry, you got to, you got to, you got to handle this. You're the director. And I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, like, how do I do this? And, uh, you know, it was a lot of thinking on my feet and, you know, no script, no idea how to handle this kind of thing. You know, I didn't know where to look for help. And, you know, thankfully, uh, it came out in a way where I was able to just basically present the guy with three options, you know, because he kept maintaining his innocence. I don't know what they're talking about, you know, and I just said, look, this came up regardless of what the truth is, you have three options. And I said, one, um, if you are correct and they are not, like if they're lying or something like that, and it just happens to be a misunderstanding, you need to go clarify and get clarification as to what behavior is offending them and make sure you stop it and just understand, okay, yeah, it was just, you know, it was just me being stupid or unaware. Uh, the second possibility is that uh, they are right and you are wrong in that uh, you are actually doing things that are inappropriate. And if that is the case, then you need to go there, to go to them, apologize, and make sure it does not happen again if you expect to stay part of our class. Uh, the third is that um, they insist that they're correct. You decide that uh, you know, your version is correct. So now it's your word against theirs. 
and I have to ask you to leave because I know I've known them longer than I've known you. And uh, unfortunately, um, I found out later that after he went to go try to sort things out with the with the main person who was uh, telling me about this is that basically he was unrepentant um, and you know did not want to admit that his behavior was inappropriate and ultimately never showed up again. Uh, but yeah, things like that. Another fun situation is when I had to evict a roommate. Um, he had defaulted on its lease and just kept giving me stories about how he would eventually come up with the money after I gave him an ultimatum and knew that he was in the wrong and basically was just daring me to actually call the cops to evict him. Um, and basically was trading on, you know, my generosity, which he kept stretching and stretching. And so, yeah, this, this is the kind of stuff I was dealing with on the professional side. Um, at one point I had to fire a pregnant woman. <laughs> That's just not something, um, I would wish on anybody. And then another time was again, just, uh, one of the texts that I brought on when I first started with my current employer, um, I found out even though she was in a leadership position from the previous company we both work for, um, turns out she was the kind that would rather look good instead of actually be an effective leader and elevate her teammates. And so, yeah, having to push her out the door, uh, it, given as slick as she was and how well she was at deflecting and making excuses and just pushing back. Um, yeah, that was uh, terrifying, but it had to be done because at that point we couldn't tolerate the bad behavior and it was just um, training the rest of the team. So these are the kind of trauma I'm dealing with. Yeah. So with the different trauma that you're dealing with, you do a lot of talking about leaders and leadership. What are some qualities that make someone an effective leader versus someone that you have to deal with their leadership afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so my, my own personal thesis as to what makes an effective leader involves nine essential skills and qualities. Um, so imagine a Venn diagram, a two circle Venn diagram where you have the overlap, you have the word integrity. On the left side, you have uh, above the left circle, you have the words within me. And in that circle, you have vision, uh, responsibility, resilience, and personal development. And on the right side, you have the words beyond me. And in that circle, you have um, developing others, communication, conflict resolution, and legacy. So that is my uh, proprietary thesis as to what makes an effective leader. Those sounds like excellent things to make an effective leader. And do you have a target market or like an ideal client um, that you like to work with? Yeah, um, my ideal client is uh, Asian American professionals in their late twenties, early thirties. Um, you know, they're at an age where they've gone through school. You know, they got the degree, whether it's in accounting or medicine or engineering or other, you know professions with uh, high median income and the respect that comes with those degrees, but they realized, you know, that uh, this isn't what ultimately is satisfying to them, right? They realized, Hey, just because I'm married and have kids and did everything my parents told me uh, that would bring honor to the family. I've realized, you know, I'm just signed up for a different set of challenges. Like the challenges didn't go away just because you finished the degree or got married. In fact, you just moved on to a different set of challenges. And so they start to ask themselves questions like, you know, how do I, how do I maintain stability for myself? Right. Because if I don't know how to deal with a boss who is temperamental um, or unpredictable, you know, how do I have a conversation with them that's productive uh, for other people to say, Hey, I don't even know how to deal with my parents' expectations because, you know, um, I want to be like a wildlife photographer, but my parents keep asking me when I'm going to take my MCAT. It's like, how do I deal with that? Right. 
Um, and then other people just to say, Hey, um, I don't even know what I want. Like, you know, success in my eyes, you know, what do I do with this? So yeah, whether it's with family or with your boss or just within yourself. Yeah. But I, Asian American professionals in their late twenties, mid thirties is my ideal. Yeah. So what are three tips that you would give this group of Asian American professionals? Three tips you would give them? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, happy to offer some personal <laughs> gems. Um, I guess the first is to ask yourself, you know, you know, how do you define success for yourself? Um, just to, you know, ask, you know, yeah, what am I working toward? Is it, you know, a level of freedom and autonomy so that I can spend more time doing what's meaningful to me? Is it, you know, building relationships in a community that shares the same goals and purpose and, uh, you know, that we're all working toward? Uh, so that is one tip to say, hey, you know, how do you separate yourself from the rat race, right? Because, yeah, too often, you know, the immigrants that came over here, they had a certain set of goals. Uh, and to, yeah, to get money and prestige is, you know, build up an, a, a, a reputable um, practice and presence is great. But once you have that already, like, is it does it come down to you to be the only one to maintain it? Uh, a second tip I would give them is to say, you know, at what point will you stop tolerating uh, the status quo? You know, at one point will you decide that, you know, bad behavior uh, is, is not acceptable and you'd rather find closure instead of just stay comfortable. So that is another tip. Uh, that's what worked for me because I realized as a leader, you know, I couldn't um, afford underperforming employees and I realized they weren't going to change unless I said something. And then the third would be, you know, what would give you 10 seconds of courage um, to engage in the difficult and necessary thing? Because you don't need to be Superman or Wonder Woman. People think that you need to like be superhuman in order to handle superhuman challenges when really you just need to get the ball rolling in a way that doesn't let you kind of backtrack once you've got things started. Because usually that's, that's enough to help you move forward once you've done enough preparation uh, and set things in motion. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like when you're trying to overcome challenges and struggles, it's all about just taking steps and performing at your own personal best is something we share a lot and with Mo, Mo, Mo Crazy Strong. And one of the things that's interesting is before my accident, I understood your own personal best was the stereotypical form of being the best all the time. <laughs> and so that's how I, it, it stuck with me with my competitive career. And I was getting to be the best a, a lot. <laughs> and then after my accident, I really began to understand that be your own personal best is understanding that your own personal best is different every day. For me, it became walking upstairs. Sometimes my own personal best was taking a break. Like you mentioned about not following the status quo, like sometimes your own personal best is something that people don't expect of you whatsoever. I was actually um, recently uh, quoted in an E article about Simone Biles and we were talking about, I was sharing how her own personal best was withdrawing from the Olympics. And so sometimes that is your own personal best. And so to really listen to yourself and trust yourself and trust 
yourself to perform at your own personal best, not what the stereotypes or expectations are telling you to perform. So I think that's something that I picked up a lot from what you were saying is that you try to help the people you work with break away from the stereotypes and break away from the expectations Mm -hmm. and perform the life that they want to be living. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's uh, kind of the dovetail on what you just said, right? Um, If you're secure enough in your path and your identity, it's okay for others to disagree with you, right? Mom and dad don't have to agree with what you're doing, but as long as you're paying your bills, right? Why should they worry about that? You know, what will that, what would all that worrying accomplish anyway? Um, and so, yeah, to, for people to say, you know, I'm, maybe there's a better way than what I was taught. Um, you know, there are some things to celebrate. I think every culture has their, has their pluses and minuses, but to really celebrate the pluses and then build on, you know, build away from, you know, the things that might be holding you back, like fixed mindset or, you know, limiting beliefs, even within your culture. Um, you know, that's, I think it's healthy for everybody. Like I'll give an example. I remember when I first started with the chain pharmacy, um, I, I wouldn't have been able to take a vacation for the first six months I was, I was hired or working for them. And, you know, there's a convention I wanted to go to. And I told my mom, you know, I said, yeah, you know, I, I want to see if I can get some unpaid leave just to go on this uh, vacation and go to this convention. And she's like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Because she was in her mind, she was already afraid that if I asked for something like that, that somehow that would offend them and they would rescind the offer. Uh, when all those fears were built up in her own head and had nothing to do with the actual company. Um, and thankfully, I was able to negotiate that time off. And I don't regret it at all. <laughs> you know, I was happy to go on my convention. And, you know, yeah, they maybe they weren't thrilled with the request, but uh, I'm just happy that I put it on the table before they had, I didn't want to reject it before they had a chance to reject it. Right. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting because there's a lot of studies that have proven recently that the more employees choose to pursue things that they're passionate about, the higher the elevation of work is that they actually are accomplishing for the company. So it's interesting because um, Germany is looking to go to a four back to a four day um, work week so that mm. people have more time to in other areas of life. Um, and there's a lot of recent studies that show that like if you do take a break, the employees come back so much more motivated and then you accomplish way more because the trick, one of the tricks is um, with keeping your employees motivated and accomplishing things is for them to feel like they want to and that they enjoy the company. They, they love the company and they're passionate about what they're doing because let me tell you, like how it is now, if you work eight hours, you could be working eight hours or you could be Facebook scrolling and doodling for seven and a half hours. <laughs> and you're, you're the same thing. Um, but if you want your employees to give results, I mean, of course, if they don't give results, then you can end up firing them and stuff like that. But yeah. but if you motivate them and you get them inspired in the company, then they will deliver at a higher performance. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's this idea that Dan Pink mentions in his book, Drive, talking about a results-only work environment. And you just kind of let the employees decide how they want to reach the target. As long as you agree on what the target is, you know, they mm-hmm. can set their own hours and set their own 
um, you know, circumstances and you trust that, hey, you know, we want to give you a level of autonomy uh, because you are creative and resourceful and we trust that you're going to figure out a way how to do this, maybe better than what the bosses can envision for you. And, you know, no one wants micromanaging. I've never heard that being a compliment. So if you don't want us to micromanage you, show us that you can handle your own ship, right? You know, show us that you can handle your own driving. And we'll be happy to check in with you occasionally just to be sure things are still on track. But at the end of the day, right, wouldn't you want to be in charge? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Um, so you a, a little bit ago mentioned about how one of the things you teach your clients is to separate themselves from the others in the rat race. So what separates you from the other leadership coaches? Yeah, great question. Um, I'd say the first thing uh, is that this is, as if you couldn't already tell from the examples I've shared, that this, this is a, per, a deeply personal journey, right? This is not anything that's just clinical on paper or very emotionally detached. This is someone who has been down this path and wants to kind of help light the way for other people so that when they come, uh, and reach similar challenges that they're going to feel all the more prepared. Uh, the second I'd say is that um, I love good books, useful books. And so I, I consume a lot of useful information. So even if I don't have a personal example um, to share in order to help with your situation, I probably know of at least one or two books that will you know provide examples that we can both learn from. Um, and so, yeah, those are the two main things. Uh, the third is just that, um, I ask a lot of really good questions. And um, even in obtaining my uh, coaching certification for leadership coaching, um, it was just funny because even in my evaluation, they said, this guy's a brilliant question asker. He needs to get better, a little better at active listening. But if you want quality questions, this guy can give them to you. So um, it's very much uh, a fun process just to kind of shed light on areas that I'm curious about for the person, but also, you know, a process of discovery that would really inspire them to move themselves forward. Well, that sounds great. And so if someone who's listening to this podcast wants to get in contact with you, because they say, hey, hey, that guy sounds interesting. I want to hire him. How do they do that? Yeah. Um, simple, simple way is to connect with me on LinkedIn. That is the one social media profile that I have that I'm working with. Uh, but if you want something more direct, go to www.adaptingleaders.com. From there, you can download a free PDF on a simple framework for having difficult conversations. And you can also schedule a complimentary 30-minute call, no strings attached, just to experience coaching the way I do coaching for whatever situation you're dealing with, or if you just want to share your story, get to know, uh, tell, tell more of what you're dealing, uh, you know, that's also available. If you want to hire me for a coaching package for yourself or for your organization, that's also on the table. But for right now, uh, there's plenty of free resources available to help you move forward. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We're reaching the end of our time. Um, is there anything you would like to leave the listeners with? Um, you know me and I love my questions. So I will ask you, um, how could you live a life without regret? So I will leave the viewers and listeners with that question to ask themselves, how can you remove regret from your life?